Good morning. How you guys doing? Merry, happy 2010. Man, I tell you what, it's been a a good year so far. Of course, we're only like two or three days into it. So anyway, I hope your new year is actually going well. Welcome to One Word. Uh, I would just want to say this. If you missed last Sunday, I I don't say this a lot, but you really need to go to the website and you need to listen to it. Uh, Because what we talked about last Sunday is going to be setting the stage and pouring the foundation for what we're going to be talking about through the month of January. And that is one word. And I'm going to just kind of nail it down. If you weren't here last week, uh, just kind of boil it down to the bare essentials. You know, one of the things when we have a new year come, we always make ourselves promises. And we promise ourselves not to eat so much. That We promise ourselves to start exercising. We promise ourselves to be a better husband, better mom, whatever that looks like for you. And we call these promises we make ourselves resolutions. That's right. New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you, uh, but I have made many New Year's resolutions that I have not followed through on. Is anybody else kin to me? Um, So one of the things we've talked about, we talked about last week, is instead of having this big long list of making ourselves promises to stop doing something and to start doing something, that we need to ditch the list and boil it down, all of these words, all of these ideas, all of these thoughts, into down to one word. That if you wanted 2010, what is the one word that you wanted to become in 2010? What's the one word that you think God is calling you to and wants you to become in 2010? And we went through four questions so that you can determine what your one word is. First, is what kind of person do you hope to become in 2010? Focus on the future, not on the past. Don't focus on what you did last year or what you did and you need to stop doing. That's not what we're talking about here. Sit down by yourself with a pen and piece of paper and describe the future. Just paint pictures with your pen. What do you want the future to look like for you? And then write down a list of words and then cut it in half. And then with that list of words, you cut it in half. And you keep on cutting it and you keep on cutting it until you get one word. Now you can go on our website, onechurch.tv, and you can do this. How many of y'all have done that and did one word? All right, awesome. The rest of you guys, what are you doing? Come on now. All right, you need to go on our website and you need to click on one word at the bottom and give us your name and give us your one word. In fact, I have a a list and I actually just got a couple more this morning. Um, Shannon says her word is Christ-centered. Christ-centered. And she says, this year is a year for new beginnings. I want all of my choices in all areas of my life to be Christ-centered. What direction Christ wants for my life. Um, Grace says this. uh, Her one word was devoted. And this is what she said. She says, I don't know how many times I've hit the backspace button in writing this. There is no need for eloquence. Picking this word is simply because of this. I want to love better. Wow. Uh, Amber picked patience. She said, as an army wife and a mother of four young boys, my one word is patience. I guess so. Um, uh, Jennifer also picked patience. Keith chose the word committed. He says, the one, one, the one word that God placed in Brian's heart was the word supportive so that he could serve others. Jerry chose readily and she even picked a verse. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. That's a good verse. All right. Blake chose peaceful. 
Monica here at One Church chose courageous. John chose obedient. Daryl chose strength so that he could be a stronger officer in the army, a stronger, uh, a stronger parent for his kids, and a stronger husband for his wife. Jennifer chose the word assertive, and James chose the word kind. Whatever word... And you need to boil it down, and you need to get on the website, and you need to do this, because we want this to be interactive. We want to hear what your one word is. Today, I want to share with you my one word, and it's probably a surprise what my one word is. It's, I don't know if you've been able to catch some of the Freudian slips and some of the things, but it's not only my one word of where I want to become and the person I want to, I feel like God's calling me to for 2010. <clears throat> but for the past six months, this word has been on my heart and has been on my mind for one church. And just as last year in 2009, our main focus, our main goal at one church was to go deeper, was to dig deeper and to take spiritual responsibility for your spiritual growth. That was, that was our, our thrust for last year. This year, it centers around this word, influence. Influence. Everything that we're going to be doing, every sermon series that we're going to be going on, everything that we're going towards is moving towards this word. And it's my prayer for you guys. It's my prayer for us as a church. And not only that, it's my prayer for me. In fact, I love the tagline for that, that, that video that we saw. It says influence. It says history is waiting on you. I like that. Because there's something in me, just like I think there's something in you, that all of us want to have influence. All of us want to make an impact, right? I mean, I am getting ready to be 39 next month. And um, I am over midlife. You know, if I'm 70, which is the average age, 72, uh, I am already over the hump. And the, the staff will tell you, they tease me about that all the time. Um, you know, but I don't feel... 39 or 38. I still feel 17. I, 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 still have, I, I still have the same passion as I did when I was a kid as I do now. And, you know, but I also know that I don't have too much, you know, I, I have more days behind me than I do in front of me. And I want to live my life knowing that God has impacted people. And he used me to do it. I think... You, I think, and if you're anything like me, you want to leave your mark. You want to have influence. In fact, the word influence is simply defined this way. The effect one person or thing on another. The word influence, in the middle of it, you can see the word fluid, and it means to cause to flow. Another word, uh, a synonym for influence is catalyst. It, it, it's, it's putting something that will actually begin the process. And again, when I think of influence, because I'm a musician, I immediately think of bands. Like anytime you get a good band and you get their CD. How many of y'all ever remember buying CDs? I'm, it's amazing. Everybody just downloads it off iTunes today. But I remember actually getting the jewel cases. Actually, if, if truth be told. I remember cassette tapes. In fact, my very first car had an 8-track tape, but let's don't go get crazy, all right? Um, I remember 
Getting 45s, all right. I've been there, 33s, all right. So I still got my records. They're coming back. Um, but you know, the thing is, anytime I get a CD, I will always open it up to the inside, and the band, whatever band I purchase, uh, they will actually say what has in, and who has influenced them. If you get a, a, a band today, you, you look at who are some of their influences, or if you, if you hear an interview, uh, from them. Who are some of your influences? And they'll say things like, uh, you know, well, Michael Jackson, or if you're from Nashville, Alan Jackson, um, uh, or a Coldplay or Justin Timberlake or, or whatever. Um, they will list all the people and all of the influences that's influenced their music. And I wonder if our like life is kind of like a CD that every year there are tracks that you're laying down. And at the end, you're going to be able to say, hey, these are the people that have influenced me. These are the people that I have allowed to speak into my life that made me and shaped me into the the person that I am today. So my question is, who do you allow to influence you? Because all of us will be influenced by someone and, turn that around, all of us will influence others. You know, the crazy thing about it is when Jesus showed up in his community, he was a catalyst for influence. In fact, this is the cool thing about Jesus. When Jesus showed up, you either loved him or you hated him, but you didn't ignore him. You either loved him, and by the way, the people who loved him were the prostitutes, tax collectors, jacked up people. And the people who hated him were the religious people. Huh, that's kind of interesting. You either loved him or you hated him, but you didn't ignore him. I mean, Jesus, and many of the things he said, many of the things he did, brought about such a violent response that that's what got him killed. So you can't ignore Jesus. In fact, I think one of the best ways to describe what something is is to describe what it's not. And I think the the opposite of influence is ignoring. And you know what's amazing today is when Jesus left this earth, he says, by the way, you're going to be my body. You're going to be my hands. You're going to be my feet. And while I'm not here on this earth anymore, I'm going to come back someday. But while the church is here, he says, the church is the body of Jesus. Which means that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to bring about the same response that Jesus did. That we are to influence our society. Do you know the whole reason why Jesus created the church wasn't just for the Sunday school crowd. And it wasn't just to say, oh, let's just have a nice 501c3 organization. He didn't create the church so that we could all huddle together when it's 13 degrees outside and wish, gum, I wish the heat was on in here. That's not why he created the church. He created the church so that his influence would continue. And we are to have the same response that Jesus had. But I wonder how in Jesus' day he was able to influence people. Nobody ever ignored him. How today it seems like everybody ignores the church. In fact, one of the things, and, and this was my heartbeat when we started one church two years ago, two and a half years ago, was, you know what, it seems like our culture has pushed the church to the margins of society. In fact, if the truth be told, I think the church has allowed itself to be ignored. 
Because we talk our own talk. And we get these weird, crazy ideas saying, well, let's just pull out or let's boycott or let's just do this and let's pull out of our society. And I got to be honest with you. I think that's some of the most messed up thinking I have ever, ever heard. Because Jesus did not pull out of his community. He impacted, he influenced, he was a catalyst for change. But what we want to do is have our holy huddles. And let's create our own communities and let's go, you know, uh, on our own schools and let's do and, and whatever out there. I'm going to step on everybody's toes today. You'll hate it. But I promise you it's going to be God's word. Because God, this is what he called us to. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. He says, you, everybody said the word you. You are the salt of the church. You are the light of the church. Isn't that what he says? What does he say? You are the salt of the, you are the light of the, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. You know, I think it's easy to say, you know what, I, I want to be the salt in the church and I want to be the light of the church. Let me tell you, he says we are to be in the earth and in the world. In fact, it says in John to be in the world, but not of the world. And we can do that. We are called to do that because we're called to influence. We're called nothing less than influence, but I think what we've allowed us to become is to become ignorable. And I think that is the worst sin of all. Because Jesus, you loved him, you hated him, you never ignored him. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He's saying, I want you to impact your surroundings. I want you to influence your surroundings. You know, I lived in Texas for four years. and <clears throat> lived in Dallas. And for four years, I, you know, I just, I, I would go outside at night and I never saw a star. Never saw a star. And the reason why is there was so much light, ambient light from the city. I could go up and I love the stars and I'd go up and i look. And all I saw was just light, gray. It's amazing when I left Texas and I moved to L.A., lower Alabama, and I ended up getting out in the country, and I looked up, I saw thousands of stars. You know why? Because stars were made to shine the brightest when it's the darkest. And some of you, and your 2010 is going to be dark, and you're working in a dark place. Some of you are in the military, and I've talked to many of you, and it's like, Chris, you just don't understand. I, it's so hard to be a Christian when you're in the military. And you're right, I don't understand, because I've never been military. But let me tell you, lights shine brightest when it's the darkest. So if where you're at, is it dark? And he's saying, I want you to influence your surroundings. I want you to impact it. Jesus was a catalyst for influence, and he calls us to influence others as well. Our big idea, our one point today is this. A life touched by God will always touch others. Let's say that out loud. Good. Ready? A life life touched by God will always touch others. Another way of saying is a life influenced by God will always influence others. Now, we can also define this in the inverse. We can reverse it. Maybe the reason you're not influencing people is because God hasn't influenced you. Maybe that's the reason. Because it says a city on a hill can't be hidden. 
That the, maybe the reason why you're not having an impact in your surroundings is because you are as jacked up as the people around you. And you would say, you're right. So guess what? It's a new year. It's a new year. Maybe for your one word that you need to pick, you just need to pick shine. Whatever it is. But he is saying, I want you, you, to influence your surroundings. Let's go back to the night sky. All right? The moon. It's been really bright the past couple of nights. The moon. Does it have any light sorts of its own? Where does the light from the moon come from? The sun. Thank you, public school education. All right. That's exactly right. Now, here's the cool thing about it. The moon doesn't originate the light. It only reflects the light. And if the sun is not there, the moon no longer has light. Correct? You know what? The cool thing about it is Jesus says, you are the light of the world. But he says in John 8, 12, he says, no, I am the light of the world. You know, the cool thing about that is we're only able to reflect the light that God gives us. If we're close to God, then we will be influenced by God. And guess what's going to happen? You will influence others. That's our big idea. That is where we're landing today. Because you can't help being around God. Then God changes you. And again, I'm going back. And if, if this is your first time back in church for a while, or maybe you've never been to church, this is a great story I'm going to mention. But back in the Old Testament, Exodus, uh, Moses climbs up on the mountain and, he, and he's talking to God and he gets the Ten Commandments, you know, or if you saw the, um, was it the Monty Python, the 15, no, 10, you know what I'm talking about. Um, he gets the Ten Commandments and he comes back down the mountain and the Bible says his face shone. Now, why did his face shine? Because he'd been with God. Because he was just reflecting the glory of God. And the thing, my prayer for you, the only way that we're going to be able to live up to this word this year, the only way that our church is going to be able to live up to this word this year is if we're around God so much that we just start reflecting. That we start shining and we start making him known. Now, I want to land for the rest of our time today. I want to look at a quick story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, to give you a great example of a person who had potential for great influence, but chose not to influence his surroundings. A person who had great potential. It was very dark where he was at. And he could have influenced, he could have made a huge difference. But he chose not to. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, crack it to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 20, and then we're going to move to 19. All right? So this is what it says. Genesis chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I'll turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free here at One Church because we want you to have a Bible. All right? Uh, Genesis 18 verse 20 says this. Um, <clears throat> God is talking to Abraham. This is what he's saying. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. So God goes down, checks it out. He says, I got to destroy this place. And I want to keep this up here. God is all knowing. He knew it was jacked up, right? Who is he talking to here? What does it say? He's talking to Abraham. It's exactly right. See, Abraham didn't know it was that messed up. God did. This was for Abraham's benefit. And we're, going to t- we're going to see why here in a minute. All right? So he goes down. All right? And then Abraham 
says in verse 23, Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? God, I need to have a talk with you. If you're going to destroy all the wicked people, what's going to happen to all the good people? So Abraham asked God a question. And then he makes a deal with God. How many of y'all ever made a deal with God? I have. God, if you. Lord, if you, if you put my marriage back together, then I will. God, if you make me healthy or if you make my parents healthy, or God, if you let me to keep my job, then I will. I think all of us have done that. Let's tell the truth, shame the devil. All right? God, Abraham makes a deal with God, and i got to be honest with you, it didn't go well with Abraham, and it usually doesn't go well with me. All right, look at this. He says, Abraham's saying, suppose you find 50 righteous people living in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what's right? I mean, Abraham is giving God a lecture on ethics. What in the world? I mean, Abraham, what in the world is he thinking? <laughs> Man, he says, you know, you gotta, there's, let's say there's 500,000 people there. There's two cities together, twin cities. He says, if you find 50, will you spare the 500,000? And God's response he said, okay. God says, okay, I'll spare it for 50. And then Abraham goes back and says, uh, all right, well, he starts thinking. Uh, what if I'm just five short of 50? Well, what about 45? If, if there's 45 righteous people there, will you save these messed up people for 45 people? God says, okay, 45 people it is. Okay, good. Abraham starts thinking, okay, what if there's just 40? 40, I'm good with 40. Abraham starts, all right, cool. 30? Okay, I'm good with 30, God says. 20? God says, okay. (laughs) I will spare all of these messed up people if you can find 20 believing righteous people in the city. 10? What'd you do 10? Look at this, verse 32. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. <laughs> Suppose only 10 are found there, and the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the, what? When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Now, let me just, if, if, you've not, if you don't know this story, let me just go ahead and give you the punchline. All right. Sodom and Gomorrah gets wiped out. In fact, I've been all over Israel. Today, you don't, we don't know exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah are at. Some people think it's close to the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. We really don't have a clue. You know why? Because it ain't there. Totally wiped out. Now, let me just ask a quick question. And some of you, if you've been in Sunday school a long time, don't spoil it. But just from what we just said... If Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would still be there today if they had found what? Ten righteous people. You see, some people say, well, no, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because it was so wicked. Or Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and they named some sins that we're going to see in a sec. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was totally wiped out because God couldn't find ten righteous people there. 
I mean, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf and say what it says. If 10 people were found, Sodom and Gomorrah would still be around. You and I could hang there. We could get travel brochures going to Sodom and going to Gomorrah. All right? It would be called Las Vegas. I don't know. All right? But my point is this. My point is 10 righteous people could have saved that city. Now, Abraham, why is he having this dialogue with God? Because Abraham knows something. And by the way, God knows something as well. Because this, is, this conversation was more for Abe's benefit, not for God. Abraham knew something because Abraham knew his own flesh and blood. His nephew. His nephew's name was Lot. Lot's a good kid. Lot's a believer. Lot is a righteous person. And Abraham knew that Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, if we look back in Genesis chapter 13, I'm not going to read it, um, but you can look back at Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 and 12, that Lot, in fact, you can put it on the screen while I'm talking. Uh, and Lot goes back there, and, and, and Lot and Abraham are having this conversation, and Lot chooses to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham knew exactly where Lot was at. And Abraham is thinking, okay, my boy, my nephew, he's going to influence them. He's going to have an impact in his community. He's going to go there. And he is going to change things. And you know what? There was that potential. There was that potential. Now, let's look at Genesis 19. Abraham, up to this point, is pretty confident that these two cities are going to be saved because his nephew's living there. Verse 1, God sends two angels to see if he can find ten. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. And Lot said, be my guest for the night. You may then get up early the next morning and be on your way again. A lot doesn't know that these folks are angels. You know, when you and I think of angels, we think of fat cherub babies with little, you know, and, you know, bad Hallmark cards, right? That's what we think of. Angels weren't like that. All right? Angels could disguise themselves and look human, but these were some bad mama jamas. All right? We're going to find out a little bit later. So the angels, uh, Lot just sees these two guys, and, and it's so cool. Lot is standing at the city gates, and the angels immediately find Lot. And we're like, okay, this is going to go good, right? They're looking for ten righteous people, and who did they find? They found Lot. Man, well, this is awesome. Well, it gets really bad quickly because Lot invites these two guys home, says, hey, come hang out with me. And while he's at home, all the men in the city start trying to beat down Lot's door, says, I want to have sex with those two men. Dag up. All right. So, verse 6, Lot steps outside. And this is what he says. He, and Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind them. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. I mean, I mean, this is messed up. Don't do this. Verse 9, look at how they respond to Lot. Look at, look at their response. The crowd says, stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an... What is that next word? Let's all say that one more time. Outsider. And now he's acting like our judge. They call Lot an outsider. Now, Lot has been living with them probably for years, at least from Genesis 13 to 18, however long that is. He's been there a while. He's been there a long time. Lot, has he chose to buy a house at Sodom. 
He chose to be an upstanding member of the community in Sodom. He got involved in the local PTA. All right? He has lived among these people for years, but he has chosen never to influence anyone. He allowed himself to be ignored for years and not to be a catalyst for influence. So things get bad really quickly. Verse 12 of chapter 19. The angels question like, do you have any other relatives here in the city? Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, daughters-in-law, and anyone else. For we about to destroy this city completely. These angels came to do business. They came to get it done. The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. Now look at Lot's response now. He wants to start influencing his city, but it's too late. Verse 14, so Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But look at what they say. Uh This old dude, this geezer, he don't know what he's talking about. He's just joking. You see, when you've been, when you allow yourself to be ignored for so long, when the message that you, that you start talking really counts, nobody listens. Nobody listens because influence starts today. It starts tomorrow when you go to the jail and you work there. It starts tomorrow when you go back to school. It starts tomorrow when you go back to your business. It starts Tomorrow, it starts right now. Not when, someday, when things get really bad. No, you're allowing yourself to be ignored. Now, let's take a quick count. How many people are in Lot's family? There's Lot, one. He's got a wife, two. He's got two daughters, because it says his two daughters' fiancés. So that's four. Sorry, I'm definitely. And then the two uh, fiancés, six. He's got six people in his family. Now let's just, again, think through this. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Couldn't find how many people? Ten. You know, if Lot would have just chosen to influence his family, he'd have been two-thirds there. And you know where influence starts? It starts in your home. You want to start influencing the soldiers underneath you, then you start influencing your wife. You start influencing your children. You want to start influencing the students where you're a teacher? You start influencing your children at home. And let me tell you, that's where it's the hardest, isn't it? Because they know all your junk. But that is where it starts. If Lot would have just influenced his family, they would have been two-thirds of the way there. And if his family would have influenced another person, they would have had, in my math, 12 people. And think about this. The key to that city being saved, those two cities being saved, lied in the hands of one family. Could it be that the key to reaching this city for Jesus Christ lies in the hands of you? And you, and your family, and my family. But we have to be an influence. we can, We got to stop allowing ourselves to be ignored. And we have to say, no, I am going to choose to influence other people. One family could have saved the city because a life touched by God will always touch others. A life influenced by God will always influence others. I think about a compass. Anytime you whip out a compass, what's going to influence that compass? Magnetic north. 
It doesn't matter if you put it over here. It doesn't matter if you take that compass in your, in your work. It doesn't matter if you take that compass in your home. What always influences that compass is magnetic north. We've got something of great influence in our lives. His name is Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter where you take him. He can influence you and so that you can be an influence to others. But you, you, you've got to be on his wavelength. I love this. As I was doing studying for this and praying through this, I found this on the internet. There's a missionary by the name of John Getty went to a small island called Antium in 1848. And he worked there among the natives for 24 years. For 24 years, he chose to influence the people of that community and not to be ignored. When he died on his tombstone, these words are still written that you can see today. When John landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he left in 1872, there were no non-Christians. Could it be that the secret of God changing your company rests in the hands of you? Could it be that the, the secret of God changing your office and changing the political world and changing, changing where you work rest in the hands of you? Could it be that what's, some of you bring your families here to one church and we're so thankful that, but could it be that you're going to have so much more of an influence on your family than we ever could? Because you're around them 365 and we're only around them for 52 days a year. Influence rest in your hands, and it's contagious. I mean, you take this word. You take the in off, and you take the ints off. What you got? You got the flu. How many of y'all had the flu so far? All right. The flu is contagious. Thanks for coming to One Church. You know what? You, I mean, you get around people. It's like I got a good friend who came up about a month ago and he gave me a hug. He says, oh, by the way, I got the flu. You remember that? You a punk. All right. <clears throat> what in the world were you thinking? All right. But you know what? The flu is contagious. God's saying, you know what? Influence is contagious. You get excited about Jesus Christ. It's going to be contagious. So here's my challenge for you. My challenge for us as a church is I want me, I want you to leverage all of your influence for Jesus Christ for this year. That's my word. I don't know what your word is, but influence is my word. It's my prayer for this church that we would no longer, and I don't, I don't feel like we've ever been this way, but I don't ever want us to be ignorable. Because Jesus wasn't ignorable. I don't even know if that's a word, but I just made it up. All right? Able to be ignored. How's that, English majors? All right? I, he calls us to be catalysts for change and influence. And everything that we do. And how, do you, how does that work for you? I don't know. How many of y'all do Facebook? That's almost everybody. Guess what? You can influence all of your friends on Facebook for Jesus Christ. Let's just get crazy. I mean, instead of putting on your stat, status, yeah, I had another hemorrhoid flare up today. Great. You sound really attractive. How about, you know what? Jesus is my rock. And I mean, anytime you get a chance, you talk about Jesus. 
on, on Facebook. All right? I mean, yeah, you can still play your Scrabble on Facebook and do the farm and I mafia if you do all that stuff. But talk about Jesus. And when you get in your job, talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the rain anymore. Who cares if it's raining? Talk about Jesus. When, when you, some of you guys, some of you ladies are getting ready to be deployed in March. And you're going to Afghanistan. And you're going to be there for months. Talk about Jesus Christ. Don't just slip down and get comfortable like Lot did. Be careful what you're looking on the internet. I, I got this quote. I got this quote yesterday. And it's from the CEO of Disney. He says this. The most important thing you can learn is that people are always breathing your air. That's good. People are always breathing your air. They are watching you, waiting for you, for you to influence them. So do it. Do it. Let me tell you where we're going for this next year. And I got to shut up because I've gone long. After we do this series, we're going to do a series called Cow Tipping. I promise you, it's going to be awesome. Because the church has a lot of sacred cows. And I believe sacred cows make gourmet burgers. After that, we're going to be looking at Esther. I've been doing studies in the book of Esther for a while now. You talk about a person who had influence. Then we're going to be going to Malachi. And you're going to be going, what? Malachi? Why? What? And we're going to be hitting Malachi. And we're going to talk about how God can set you up to be a person of influence. And and, and what's so cool? In in Acts, we're going to be studying Acts in the the months of April and May. And our Acts 1-8. And we're going to encourage you not to just go to church, but to be the church. And to have an impact in this community. Because that is what God has called us to. Everywhere we're going this year. Straight here. Everywhere. And I want this word to be burned in your brain. Next week, uh, one of our other uh, pastors is going to be teaching. And they're going to share with you their one word. So I'm encouraging you as we close today. I want you to go on the website. I want you to do this. Write it down and use one word. All right? Not 20. One. All right? All right. Let's pray. Dear Jesus Christ, we thank you so much, God, that you have called us to become something 2010. In fact, we will all, at the end of this year, we will become someone. We will become somebody. Now, who will that look like? What will we become? God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be influenced by you, Jesus Christ, so that we can be an influence to others. And, Lord, that you would make us contagious. Lord, that you would give us the full disease, not just a placebo, not just a little bit that will make us immune to it, God, but you will give us the full-blown contagious disease of I love Jesus. And everybody around me is going to know that I love Jesus because I'm going to tell them about it. And I'm going to spread it like the flu. But God, I pray that's for us. I pray that's our our direction, our goal. I pray that is what you want us to become this year. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.